everybody. Happy holidays. Uh, we are publishing this podcast a week early because next week is going to be a very busy holiday week. Uh, we will then resume uh, dropping our podcasts on a t- every two-week schedule starting on I believe, the 9th of January 2024, if you can believe it. I hope everybody has a great holiday, and we thank you for uh, listening to this podcast. We hope you'll keep doing it. Um, today we speak to Jeremy Benson. Jeremy is the founder of Benson Marketing Group, a marketing agency which uh, specializes in uh, adult beverage alcohol. Uh, started in the wine business, and um, we talk first a bit about his experience as an entrepreneur, since uh, our little podcast, Small Fortune, is also about entrepreneurship. Uh, but of course, we speak about um, marketing, um, what a marketing agency can do for a wine company to raise awareness of the brand and how that uh, plays into assisting uh, sales. And then uh, finally, we touch on Free the Grapes. That was a project that uh, Jeremy led in concert with some other important wine organizations over a number of decades, and during which time they really succeeded in opening direct-to-consumer sales uh, throughout many states that hadn't allowed it before. And I think it's fair to say probably created the modern wine industry, to be honest. Um, Jeremy has an idea for us about what to do next, uh, but uh, he's not going to be participating in that because he has sold his business to the brand leader uh, earlier this year. And he has gone ridden off into the sunset with his wife. They live in Bend, Oregon, play tennis on Tuesdays, and they're living large. So enjoy. Small Fortune podcast listeners, today I have my first relative stranger <laughs> that I'm interviewing, Jeremy Benson of Benson Marketing. Uh, up till now, I've been talking to my friends, mostly from the finance community, a few, a couple of uh, winery owners as well. Uh, but fun to um, have Jeremy, uh, who is a marketing expert, uh, join us. I know very little about marketing, so this is going to be a lot of fun for me. Uh, but I, I know that Jeremy is a successful uh, brand builder, and uh, we'll all be very happy to learn what he knows. Jeremy, thank you for joining me today. Thanks, Carol. Yeah, I appreciate it. And I think that I think it's a small industry, so we all know each other if we're just maybe a one person removed. Exactly. Like Roy Cicchetti, for example. Exactly. Yes. Your your client at, uh, for your marketing services was my client for the M&A services. And that's how I came to invite you here is that I was so impressed with what your firm did for him. Um, some of what you did incidentally happened to really help our process. I've always been curious about it. And so here I am. I have a podcast so I can ask about it. <laughs> Before yeah, it's, we- it's, it's another way of how, you know, frankly, marketing support sales, it supports finance, it supports even an M&A sort of transaction. Exactly, exactly. And so but before we get into what uh, your firm or a firm in the marketing space does for wine companies, this is also a podcast about entrepreneurship. So I thought it would be fun to um, have you go back in time and talk about what caused you to decide to start your own firm. And if you had it to do all over again, or there's some lessons learned, or would you do it at all? <laughs> would you stuck with the cushy paycheck? Uh, tell us the story of why you decided to start your own company. It does sound a little bit crazy when you think back that far uh, for me. But uh, in essence, I started the company because I saw an opening in the wine industry that needed to be filled. And there were several trends that were moving 
in the direction that that provided that opportunity. One is just the that at this time, and we're talking about. I had gone out on my own roughly in 1998, and then I was I was basically a brand manager, gun for hire for a couple of years, and then actually started the agency in 2000. And what was going on at that point was that websites were becoming a bigger deal. Email was becoming more efficient and effective as a marketing tool. I think number two, you could just see the writing on the wall that the direct-to-consumer marketplace for wineries was going to expand. And then I just saw that there was a big sort of gap in how sales and marketing wasn't necessarily that coordinated in a large number of wineries. Certainly, there are wineries that do this and do this very well. And, but there are many that don't. And so that's why we started with this idea of that we were going to focus on quote unquote integrated marketing that was integrating digital and analog that would be integrated sales and marketing that would be looking more holistically at marketing as a professional discipline for the wine industry. Would I do it again? I definitely do it again. Yeah. It was one of the great decisions professionally of my life. And when I started, it was relatively, I was in my mid thirties basically. And Fortunately, I had five years of experience working with different PR agencies in Los Angeles. I'd worked with the Napa Valley Vintners as marketing director for three years, so I knew a fair number of vintners there. I had broken bread with them and had glasses of wine and cocktails late at night, touring with them around the U.S. to promote Napa Valley. And so I had a sense of how this, how these agency businesses run, but also what was needed by the not just Napa Vintners, but wineries in the U.S. and then ultimately abroad. So. That all was helpful and allowed me to then then move forward and start an actual agency. And that agency, the, when you decided to do that, what was like the, the toughest thing uh, that happened to you? And what, was, what were the, the happy surprises you hadn't anticipated? I'm a glass half full guy, so I'll start with the positive. I think that the biggest, most fulfilling part of running a company, albeit a small company, was just bringing people into the agency and seeing them flourish, just providing a sort of platform for professional development for a lot of people that have gone on to do some some amazing things in addition to the client work that we've done. So the, so the human resource side has been very fulfilling. I think the challenges are when you're running a small company like this, we had, when I sold the company in uh, January of 2023, you know, we had nine people. I think at most we had 14. Those are full-time staff people. And when you're running a small company like that, you're thinking about, okay, can I make payroll? Can that sort of thing? I remember, I do remember one day in October of 2001, we had a client that represented about 35% of our revenue come in and say, sorry, 30 day cancellation clause and we're done. And that was a real gut punch. But in actuality, what it did is it led us to really focus on expanding services into email marketing and to website management. And at that time, that was something that was needed by wineries. We were well positioned to take advantage of it. And we had actually replaced that revenue within about five or six months. But that was a very difficult time. The brass tacks of, and explain it to me, because uh, other than seeing what you were doing for Roy, just a little window of it, what, maybe the wholesale piece and then DTC piece, like what does a marketing firm do? Yeah. What are the services? Yeah, that, that's a great question. In and I, I am speaking as the the founder and past president of Benson Marketing Group here, not necessarily representing the brand leader. But and the reason for that is that in the when I was running the company, I would say the number one question that I would get from incoming 
calls from potential prospects was essentially, how do we raise our awareness? Like, how do we raise our awareness in the United States of our brand? And that was the, that is the number one question that comes across. And so as a marketing agency, the way we would address that particular question, and I'll really condense this just so it's not too long, is that we would typically start by having some, getting some understanding of what's the actual business model of this brand. Let's talk about a winery. So what's the business model of this winery? Where are they located? How fast do they want to grow? What are their price points? What's their volume levels? What's their, what are their aspirations, right? What's the vision of the owner or owners? You really have to start any marketing by understanding what's the business look like and how is marketing going to support the business goals itself rather than just pulling a tool out of the toolkit and assuming that PR is going to work or that DTC is going to work. Again, getting back to that awareness raising, there's a lot of functions that, that, and a lot of levers you can pull in a marketing agency that will help raise awareness. And that can include anything from organic social media posts and social media advertising to public relations that's targeted to press, lifestyle press, men's magazines, women's magazines, TV, radio, podcasts, and increasingly influencers in the wine space and the home home entertaining space and the home cooking space. So there's all these potential levers that you can pull. I'm leaving a bunch out, I think, but you get the idea that, that yeah. there are a lot of different tactics that you can use. And the question on the marketing agency side is, okay, which are which are we going to invest in? In what order are we going to invest in them so that we can build over time the awareness of this company? Our client average client tenure was easily four to five years. So this wasn't something where we were almost 100% of the business was retainer, meaning it was a flat monthly fee that we would be paid. And so what we were looking for was really long-term partnership kind of relationships with brands that were willing to invest in marketing and saw the future of how we would then build awareness over time. So that's a short answer uh, to a fairly complicated question. But the part B of that is that um, at Benson Marketing Group, we actually didn't focus on DTC sales exclusively. We So there are companies out there that there are agencies out there. Wine Glass Marketing is one of them. Susan Demite's company that helps wineries specifically with building their club business, building the effectiveness of their email campaigns or social media campaigns. That is really that the objective is how do they how do their clients really build DTC sales? And I'm overgeneralizing probably slightly here, but I think you get the idea. Whereas right. Benson Marketing Group was really okay, we're not really in we're not really targeting that business. What the the clients that we have were more multi-brand companies, national presence, wholesale presence, did some DTC, typically probably had several brands, a few tasting rooms. And so what we were looking at was something like, take, for example, Roy Cicchetti and his company back 10, 12 years ago was, how do you take Red Tree and really blow that thing out in terms of wholesale sales? How do you take Line 39 and really expand and really provide the support that Roy's and his sales team is going to need to obtain their objectives, which were very much about fast sales growth. I'll stop there. If there's a question you want to ask. As a question slash comment, I will say this. This is one of these things that 15 years in, I, I continue to learn and develop and my understanding of the dynamics in this M&A market in the wine business. And 
one of the things I hear what you're saying at the DTC is a very sales the sales support is a very specific thing. But one of the messages I, I will I am hereby giving to the industry is that even if you're DTC, if you have an expectation or, or hope of exiting your business through a, the sale of the company, it's not enough that you your club members and the people who visit your tasting room know about you. Um, it is, in fact, really important to have a campaign or a method or a, a, a plan for making sure that the broader trade knows what you're doing, because those are the that's the pool of people who are going to buy a wine company or people who are in the trade. As a broad awareness, do something uh, so that when I come in and say, oh, here, I'm selling such and such DTC company, they say, oh, yeah, I've seen that brand at my favorite restaurant, whatever it might be, or I've seen at, however, Jeremy, how would you do it? I don't know. But yeah. it, it, just because you're DTC is not uh, a reason to abandon the overall awareness campaign. Yeah, I, I think that's I think that's right on the mark. I'm not sure if I were a vintner, I'm not sure that if I was making, say, four or 5,000 cases or more, but was really focused on DTC, I think you've just got to do some sort of on-premise distribution if at the very least to use it as a sampling opportunity to bring consumers into your brand, be it purchasing at the restaurant or directly from, say, your website or on Wine Club. So I, I agree with that. Um, the second part is just back to Roy for a second. One of the one of the objectives that we had with Roy's company, Chiquetti's company, was to build the perception, which was the reality, frankly, of very rapid sales growth. That is, we would often talk about how do we build awareness momentum within the trade publications for a particular client. And it would be, in Roy's case and many others, it would be uh, where we would make announcements of uh, a certain percentage growth rate over the previous year or certain accolades from publications as to a hot brand award, that sort of thing. And the point was just a sort of quarterly periodic news item that would take advantage of and just communicate the success that a client was having and i think that's what you're getting at in terms of raising awareness among people that would most likely be buyers of of that particular brand right you need to get out there and raise awareness not just among consumers for the brand but also within the trade fortunately the trade media isn't doesn't really take that long for an agency to Target just because there aren't very many of them. What are the things to avoid? Keys to success from a marketing standpoint, in your view? Yeah, and I think stories is a good is a good way to talk about it. It's more interesting on a podcast, right? I'm going to pick on Roy a little bit more because we keep on bringing him up. So he uh, was launching a brand called Austerity, and I know in the podcast, for those of you who haven't listened to it, by the way, you should listen to uh, Carol's interview with Roy. It's quite good. But in any event, to take a to shorten it slightly, um, this was back in the Great Recession, the brand was called Austerity. So rather than the sort of traditional route of sending the wine out for reviews and scoring and that sort of thing from those scoring publications, what we did was we packaged a Cabernet and Chardonnay bottle up in a box that had shredded dollar bills in it, which by the way, you can buy legally. And then we created the, the documents, the fact sheets and so forth that were written like you would a mock annual plan and then had those boxes delivered not to 
the scoring publications, but to CNN's finance desk in New York and other finance outlets. And so the objective was that uh, was how do we reach a very broad demographic group? To, how do we get the editorial coverage, right? The, the endorsement from some media outlet that's going to reach a lot more people that then we can repurpose that for the communications that we would be doing to the trade, the wholesale trade, in order to encourage them and and Roy's wholesalers to sell austerity on the street. So I had to create something different, new and creative. And so we did that and CNN tweeted about it and that sort of thing. So we got some good awareness there and some good marketing material then repurposed. But also what we did, maybe more, this is a bit of a crazy idea, but we then took those packages and our team we, what we did was hired a videographer in an armored truck, and a couple of oh. our teammates then went through <laughs> New York City to present the two bottles of austerity and these packages to J.B. Diamond, but J.P. Morgan Chase, and essentially the, the CEOs in the top five banks in New York City. And the point, what we're looking to do is really to then edit a video that then Roy and his sales team could use when they when he presented and introduced austerity to wholesalers around the country to sell it. So right. he needed something that really stood apart. And just imagine in your mind, if you will, of a couple of marketing people coming out of a armored truck with a box of wine and going into JP Morgan Chase and saying to the security guys, we have two bottles for Jamie Dimon. Would you please deliver these or can we deliver these? And of course they were like, they kicked us to the curb. But that made a great <laughs> video, right? It was in and when the team was then walking down Fifth Avenue or Wall Street or whatnot to the next office, then the script was all about what made austerity different and a great sale and that sort of thing. So we basically packaged this up into a video that the team could use in talking to wholesalers about wholesale salespeople about austerity. So that's a there's a couple lessons, takeaways there. One is how do you reach a a broader demographic group than maybe is only reading wine reviews. Number two is how do you create something really creative that's going to help break through the clutter of the for wholesalers that it's going to encourage them to sell that particular brand over the other thousand that are in their book. So yeah, uh, that worked quite well. Yeah, and it seemed there were you, you were cooking up a bunch of different things. There were contests for the salespeople, and, right, um, and, and all of that. And that's you and two or three or four of your employees in an office kind of spitballing? What is the creative yeah. process for something yeah. like that? Yeah, it, it's yeah, it's really starting with, okay, what is the, what's the business objective that we're trying to get into, get to, and then build back from there. And then essentially brainstorm as many ideas as you can, come up with 75 ideas, four of them are possible, and then going to the client with two or three that, that we think are probably the best. But I think the other takeaway from that particular experience was that the idea of integrating sales and marketing is really core and is very and is key. And speaking of a success factor, I think that and a challenge, in many respects, there's a lot of wineries that don't necessarily see the benefits of integrating those two functions together in such a way. Another example is and especially one that we've done in the last several years is the idea of saying, okay, look, we don't have enough budget to blanket the entire U.S. or the top 20 demographic markets with any sort of advertising. But what we're going to do with this either new brand, a lot of times it was a new brand, would be to say, okay, we're going to focus on three cities 
and we're going to triple down on geo-targeted uh, Facebook advertising in particular markets. And then we're going to narrow it down even further from that into ads that are targeting people that have shown an interest in wine and that live within five miles of a particular store that is doing an in-store tasting on our client's wine on this particular date. And so the idea there was we would work directly with the sales team in terms of figuring out, okay, where are those tastings going to take place? What's the wine that's going to be poured? What what does that sort of whole deal look like? And then we're going to build a social ad campaign around it. And then we're going to layer on public relations with that, looking to try and get some local editorial coverage. And then the client would then put together the sales package of, okay, here's what the incentives are. Here's what the, they would put the depletion allowance and those sorts of things. So the, the end result would be a campaign to the wholesalers that would say, okay, we are going to do A and B and C and D. And mm-hmm. so we're good. It would really show a commitment to a market that was 10 X what you would normally see that, and it would be more akin to what one of the top, say, 10, 15 largest wine companies might do in that particular market. And the goal was, let's create a case study, and then we're going to just repurpose this into the next market where we can show some success in those first three markets. Yeah, that makes that, that's a good way to do it on a small budget. Yeah, I see that. Start small. And I say that as well in terms of trying to encourage a, a winery to Again, I frequently encounter DTC only, and I do not try to manage anybody's business, but say, look, if there's a single market that you can create a proof of concept that the trade could be made to care, or that you right. can um, right. get some great placements in some top pick a market, is definitely piloting things is the most, it's a basic concept they teach in business school, yeah, and it's did, really important. We did another... It, just another story on that line. We uh, worked with a company out of California that had very modest, really low distribution in uh, parts of New York State. And in one, and what we did was essentially put together this very targeted campaign that led to then the 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 there was a small retail chain. They took in um, one SKU. They put it in three stores, kind of thing. And then we started, we did two or three weeks of advertising and spent, I don't know, it was probably a thousand or fifteen hundred dollars or so on the ad spend. It wasn't huge. And then what happened is that the retailer buyer saw that and then expanded that SKU to all their stores and then added two more SKUs to all of their stores. And so the sales team saw, wow, okay, this is a company that really has their act together. And it didn't really cost that much money. It was very straightforward to do. And it was, for us, it was a proof of concept as well. And what fantastic success stories. And other than the mistake of not spending enough money on marketing, <laughs> what what are some stories around t- typical mistakes that, that wineries make in the marketing arena? Yeah, I think the one of them that, is the is obvious i think is the really understanding what the wholesale tier needs and what's going to get them motivated we've worked with some other partners in who have focused more they sort of do what we do except we, except more on the sales side of creating a sales plan and, and that has and one of them is palmatier consulting 
Gordon Palmatier. So we've worked with him in terms of creating a sales plan that really addresses the needs of wholesalers. That's a very challenging thing to do for the obvious reasons that their books are huge and it's hard to yeah. get their attention and so forth. And we all understand what those challenges are. But I think one of the mistakes is really um, uh, coordinating and molding the marketing and the sales campaign and integrating that together in such a way that it does actually stand the best chance of meeting the needs of wholesalers and standing out among their book, their books. So I think that's a, it's that integration of sales and marketing theme that I keep on coming back to. I think that just another challenge is just the world of wine is such a capital intensive business and it's it, and marketing is often seen as a, or, or it's seen as a, it's a below the line expense. One right. of the things that, that, that we, talked to or I talked to a lot of clients about over the years was the idea of looking at your marketing expense in terms of looking at both above the line and below the line and in other words above the line meaning depletion allowances and so forth and that would come out of gross revenue but also looking at advertising and promotion of below the line expense and that's typically where the 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 expenses and fees are derived for and pay agencies and look at how do you combine those in a way that is going to have the greatest yield for the, the company as a whole. So I think looking at maybe some, same, maybe some questions around how financing is perceived within the company is one opportunity that I think is undervalued as well. Another challenge is just HR, right? Like how do you find the, the right people for these sorts of jobs, which has been obviously a major challenge, especially in COVID and during COVID and after COVID for finding people that would be running tasting rooms and wine clubs and so forth. So how do you make that, how do you make a marketing position attractive to someone who could really bring some outside experience from an agency or in-house into a winery that could really help that leapfrog over competitors? I think those are a couple areas that are challenges, but at the same time have some real opportunities for brands to stand apart from each other. Yeah, and, and hearing all the complexity of it and the need to integrate it across so your brand, your sales, the tasting room, so, you know, kind of coordinated effort and messaging. That's in, in real time, but I think across time, I would imagine that maybe one mistake people make is dipping into spending on marketing when there's a specific problem they've identified and want to solve. And as soon as they get past that, it's okay, we've done that. So we're is it a problem yeah. that sometimes people come at this sporadically rather than consistently? The, in general, what happens, and, and this isn't just in white marketing, but in, in marketing in general and advertising, is that if the economy slows a little bit, then the first places that get cut generally are below the line expenses and advertising and promotion typically gets cut pretty early from that. There's a lot of evidence that, and there's been some interesting blog posts on this topic, that if actually, if I can give a plug to one of the yep, actually too. one of the blog posts that is on bensonmarketing.com is exactly about how to manage a winery marketing through a recession. And I won't repeat it here, but the but a, a prominent speaker is quoted in there, and the approach that they took was to continue to invest, of course, invest in marketing and public relations and, and so forth when there was a, a dip in the general economy and how they came out of that stronger than the way that they, they went into it. 
And, and you would expect someone like me to make a comment like that, <laughs> right? But but there is some logic to it. There is some truth to it because it's helpful to be slightly contrarian when it comes to marketing. And, and that is the contrarian thing is, would be to invest during a re- recession. And what happens is you get market share. It's very simple. <laughs> so, yeah, I think I, I read. I didn't read that whole article, but I did see. You know, reference the the famous Buffett. You know, I'm I'm greedy when everybody's fearful. Fearful when everybody's greedy. Right. So when everybody's in their foxholes, that's the time to come out. So tell me about free the grapes. I believe my former partner, now retired Vic Motto, was involved with that with you. No. Yeah, Free the Grapes was founded back in 1998. Essentially, what happened is that in Florida in 1997, there was a there was legislation that was proposed that would make it a felony for an out-of-state winer to ship a bottle to a consumer in Florida, adult consumer in Florida. The Wine Institute, Napa Valley Vintners, which is where the Vic Motto connection comes in, so he did a lot of work with the Napa Vintners, yes. essentially got together and did a campaign to try to oppose the bill. The bill passed, the felony bill passed, unfortunately. And they came back and then because they had done this campaign, it had showed that then they, it was a consumer campaign and it got a surprising amount of attention in the press and so forth. So they came back and said, okay, as an industry, we need to combine lobbying and litigation with public relations and consumer marketing. So mm-hmm. we have a three-pronged campaign, right? So you've got, so essentially... Wine Institute got together with other lobbying groups, Wine American Family Winemakers of California, Coalition for Free Trade, which was the litigation arm on direct-to-consumer shipping, got together. Napa Valley Vintners was one of the co-founders as well. And so they created Free the Grapes. And then I got hired as executive director of Free the Grapes. And the agency essentially managed that campaign and continues to manage that campaign. And so the point of Free the Grapes is to engage consumers in the industry's fight to streamline and uh, regulations around winery to consumer direct to consumer marketing and, and DTC sales, as well as to open up states. And fortunately, we've gone from 17 legal states for winery shipments to 47 states, although seven are pretty difficult, but that's a pretty big jump And in the last 25 or so years. The work isn't and what's not done. There's still in winery or wine company that produces more than about 105,000 cases a year still can't ship to a consumer in New Jersey, for example. So we've been quite focused on New Jersey and other states and still looking to open up some states like Mississippi and Delaware and yes, Utah too. That's on the list. The work isn't quite done. Congratulations, however, because uh, phenomenally important to the the industry, what, what you and, and the, the, the folks behind it, all of them. Uh, have done with that. Very important. If, and if you were, if, you know, if you were walking into the wine industry now and going to create uh, some other um, campaign of this nature on a topic uh, that you think is important going forward, is there anything in particular standing out to you right now as something that the industry broadly ought to address? Uh, yeah, I think just in, um, generally speaking, the the in the background for this comment is that. We've had success over the years, especially where we can take a campaign for an issue or a wine growing region or a brand, a wine brand or a a spirits brand. And where you can put that brand into the sort of consumer lifestyle, cultural zeitgeist, then you really win because you get, you, you have such a multiplier effect when you can get brand stories and 
authenticity communicated to a huge consumer audience, you really win when that happens. The, the results are just multifold what you would otherwise see. I would apply that probably to the category itself. Like how do you make the wine category more attractive to more people? And it's not just a, we're marketing to millennials or we're marketing to Gen Z, but how do you then take what we know about this particular category, which is unique in the sense that it's both ancient and contemporary all at the same time, and therefore a rich uh, basis for marketing and marketing content? And how do you make the category more appealing to more people? That's where I'd focus on. I I think you're 100% right. And although you are semi-retired, yeah, so you're not going to take up the cudgel here. <laughs> it, no, I've, I like to play tennis on Tuesday afternoon at 11. That's a new thing that I have not been able to do for my entire career. <laughs> <laughs> so you're keeping your Tuesdays. You're not going to fill it up with yeah, exactly. brand <laughs> category awareness projects. Okay. Yes. We'll find someone else. <laughs> okay. Thanks, girl. <laughs> but listen, I really I appreciate you taking the time to talk with us. and. Uh, I was uh, confident that it would be a great conversation, even though I had not spoken to you before. So Yeah, I enjoyed it as well. I really appreciate it and, and hope a lot of people do as well. All right. Appreciate it. Thanks so much, Jerry. Hi, Small Fortune listeners. If you found this episode enjoyable, we'd really love to have you as a follower. And we're on almost all of your favorite podcast platforms. So if you could take a moment and subscribe or follow, we'd really appreciate it. Also, if you have any questions for Carol, please email us at smallfortunepodcast at gmail.com. Thanks. Did we do okay? Did we not, yeah, I thought, uh, yeah, I love rip. all the stories. Those I did screw great. up too badly there. No, you did a great <laughs> job. It's going to be great. Okay, Very excited good. about it. Good. Good. There weren't many marketing jokes in there, but the story. <laughs> yeah, I should have thought of more jokes. It's yeah, no, I'm, a little song and dance or something. <laughs> you know? Thanks, Jeremy. We had this. I did an interview with Mario Zapponi recently, the oh, yeah. M&A advisor, Mario, and he's such a buttoned-up guy. He's amazing, and it was a great. But I, have, my persona involves telling lots of dumb jokes on the regular, <laughs> 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 and so. We it was this funny recording in which I was occasionally lobbying these dumb jokes at him, and they were just hitting the wall. And he would just look at yeah, yeah, and he was just like (laughs) it was extremely awkward. But uh, (laughs) anyway, luckily we could edit all of my dumb jokes out. Yeah. Oh, there you go. There you go. At least you tried. You can say that you tried, right? I did. I did. I did. (laughs) All right. Listen, thank you for taking your Thursday. Enjoy your next Tuesday sure. tennis session. And, uh, <laughs> I'll right. uh, perhaps see you around. All right. Thanks, Carol. Thanks, Jacqueline. Thank you. See you. Bye. So much. Thank you.